Uh, just while, while everyone's sitting down, Jackie um, shared some stuff this morning in the, the uh, Ballina Church that I hadn't actually made a connection or thought at all about. But um, Jackie was just sharing our journey with Pastor Jim and Venice, and it, it began uh, quite a long time ago now. Uh, we used to be associate pastors of another church in Ballina, and I mean, we used to meet and have coffee uh, once a, a sort of fortnight or whatever. Blue moon, yeah, which happened every two, three weeks apparently. Um, but then after we left that, um, the, the church we resigned for different reasons from the church we were a part of. The, the only uh, sort of spiritual leaders, I guess, that we ended up reconnecting with was uh, Pastor Jim and Venice. And it wasn't until this morning when, when Jackie was sharing that um, I realised, yeah, we, we, we have a lot to uh, owe these guys in terms of the, the way that they have accepted us. Uh, as you get to know us, you're going to realise one thing very quickly. We're just human beings called by God. We're just like you. Uh, we are not perfect. We can't solve all your problems, uh, but God can. We know God and we rest on God and we trust in God just like you do. Um, so they accepted us, warts and all. But I was reminded driving up here in the car too, and, and again, it's just a, another um, uh, aspect of God that's amazing. It's another mystery of God. You know, sometimes we can't work God out completely. And that's part of what I want to talk about this morning, actually, Christian maturity and what that looks like. But I was reminded this morning, I remember when we resigned, because I got saved when I was 19 years of age. I came out of a non-church background, no Bibles in the house, never went to church, nothing like that. And I had some significant encounters with God. About the age 15, it started. God began to chase me. I wasn't interested in God. I didn't go looking for God. I wasn't one of these people that was on a spiritual, no, yeah, there's something out there and I'm searching for it. I wish I was, because those stories are cool. I love those sort of people. Um, Keith Green is one of my heroes of the faith. I love Keith Green, his music, his books, his story. But I wasn't like that. I actually had no interest in God. I was interested in doing what teenagers do and chasing the lifestyle that teenagers chase and playing my football and listening to my music, and that's about all I cared about. But from 15 on, God began to chase me. got saved when I was 19. Six months later, I joined a mission organization called Youth with a Mission. Uh, did some training with them, ended up being with them for the next 11, 12 years, something like that. I was with them for a long time. Um, different countries of the world, going out, preaching the gospel, sharing with people, doing drama. Um, I, I led worship a few times. I used to do a bit of worship, uh, going into, into villages and slums and preaching. We'd go to university campuses and TAFE campuses in Australia. I remember almost getting knocked out a few times by university guys that walk up to you while you're open-air preaching because uh, they didn't like what you were talking about because it wasn't intellectual enough for them because the gospel is pretty simple, actually. It's, it's not too complicated. Anyone can understand it. Um, and then from that journey, we went from YWAM into associate pastors of a church. And we did that for about set, uh, eight years. Did that for about eight years. And then I remember when we resigned, it was for, for um, no bad reasons. It was just the church was going in this direction. We felt to go in this direction, so we parted ways. Um, but I remember at the time um, saying to Jackie, I, I, I didn't realize this, but the best way to describe it is I felt like an arm was cut off me. I felt like what I was created to do what I was created to be a part of was all of a sudden removed from me. And it's not like working in one company and then resigning from that company and being able to take those same skills on a resume and go and find another company that does the same thing and work for them. To get back into what we're doing now had to be something that God had to initiate and God had to do. But just driving up here this morning, the significance of it all started to come back to me. That um, it was somebody pointed out this morning, it was seven years. Matter of fact, uh, two weeks ago when I was here, we were um, looking at possibly announcing uh, this then, but my wife couldn't be here. She had to work, so we put it back. That Sunday was seven years to the day. 
seven years to the day when I last preached and resigned in my other church. Yeah, I didn't think of the significance of that. But I remember at the time thinking God, and I, uh, like a limb's been cut off and only God can restore a limb. Nobody else can do that. So I guess I kind of stand here this morning with my family thinking, isn't God amazing? The whole time I felt like every decision I was making and choice and door that opened up was pushing me further and further and further away from the very call of God. That's what it felt like. Now, I remember being frustrated at times and down and flat and, and, and whinging to my wife about how this is just getting us further and further and further away from the very thing that I feel like we're passionate about and that God put us on this earth to be a part of. And here I am managing a bottle shop. The only connection I could make is it's one spirit here and it's one spirit there. They're all spirits, but... I wanted to serve this spirit to people. Instead, I'm serving this spirit to people. So I stand here today, honestly gobsmacked at how God does what he does. I can't work him out. You know, every time I feel like I've worked out an aspect of God's nature, he does something. I've got a question. I ask him. He shows me the answer. It opens up five more questions that I have no answer for. I'm almost getting to the point where I'm afraid to ask him to show me things because he's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm realizing the bigger he is, the more smaller I am. The more significant he becomes, the more insignificant I become. But he still wants to use me. Amen? And he still wants to use you too. So glory to God this morning. I I just was thinking of that on the way here. Um, God has his way. If we continue to trust in God, don't get bitter. Don't get twisted. Accept the opportunities that come your way. Accept sometimes the things that you don't like but happen. All things work together for the good of those that love God. And I think that's a testimony we'll carry forward from today on. So, yeah, if you've got a Bible there, can you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11? While we're doing that, while we're doing that, we might take up our tithes too, by the way. (laughs) Feel free to prompt me if I forget something. Most important thing about a giving is what? Our attitude, that's right. You know, uh, in the New Testament it says that God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, by the way, in the Greek is actually the Greek word hilarious. It's the Greek word hilarious, which is where we get our modern word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. When you think about a hilarious giver, I don't think it just talks about a mount, but I think it talks about an attitude of the heart, a hilarious, fun, this is great, I'm enjoying this, this is something I want to do. Not something I have to do, not some religious ritual, not something I feel like I need to do. I'm not coming to a show, putting in my entry fee, you can perform for me and then I'll go away. This is something that we do because all of us are called to do different things, but our finances can be used for the benefit of the kingdom of God in areas that my body physically cannot go. And that's what we do with our tithes and so on. So we've taken up those tithes and offerings now. Yep. Thank you, Lord. Excellent. If you've got a Bible there, can you turn with me please to Matthew chapter 11 this morning? Matthew chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. What a a beautiful picture of Jesus. He called these people to go and do something. He called them to leave behind their families and leave behind their towns and their cities and their friendships and go out there and preach the gospel. But as soon as they went, what did Jesus do? He came straight back into that place where they had gone from. He said, you go and I'll take care of you. You know, I remember when I first uh, went to Youth with a Mission, one of my biggest concerns was I had an encounter with God, I got saved. What about my, my dad? 
I'm the only Christian that in my dad's world and God, I, I can't go. I un- understood later on in life that one of the reasons God took me away was because I was getting in the way of what God was wanting to do with my father. My father's a lot closer to the Lord now than what he was back then. My, my father, believe it or not, has, he helped build uh, one of the churches there in Balna. Um, voluntarily, he's been involved in food banks and other churches in town. He's done a lot of stuff like that. But it's just an interesting aspect of God that when we do what God has called us to do, we may have concerns and we may have things in the back of our mind that we're worried about, but God says, you go and I'll take care of that stuff for you. That's the promise of God for us. Okay. And when John, John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? What an interesting question. What an interesting question. John the Baptist was down by the riverside one day and he's dunking people in the water, getting them up next, down up next, down up next. All of a sudden he stops and he looks up and he sees a man walking towards him and this man's name is Jesus. And John the Baptist is so convinced, so convinced that this guy is the Messiah, the one that Israel have been waiting for, that he declares publicly in front of the hundreds of people that were gathered around the, the riverbanks, this is the Son of God publicly puts it out there in front of everybody, doesn't keep it to himself, doesn't go around asking, well, before we make this public, before we make this announcement, I've got to, he said no, he knew, he knew that he knew that he knew this guy is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Declares it publicly. The Bible says that, that, that the spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. I don't know whether he saw it with his physical eyes or his spiritual eyes or what, but he saw something that convinced him 100% this man is the Messiah. There was no doubt about his conviction that Jesus was the one. A couple of chapters later, John the Baptist is in prison, awaiting death. And the Bible says when he heard the works of Jesus, all of a sudden doubt began to enter his mind. In Matthew chapter 11, we have a John the Baptist who's not as convinced as he was a few chapters earlier on in the book. All of a sudden he's going, hang on a second, I don't know now. I was convinced this was God. Now I'm just not 100% convinced that this is the Messiah. What changed? What happened? Well, the Bible doesn't give us everything, but it gives us a little bit of a snippet there. In verse 2 it says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... John's in prison. He's not seeing what's going on, but people are reporting to him, this is what Jesus is doing. John the Baptist had a theological box that he put God in. Who knows what I'm talking about? We've all got boxes, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we realize it or not, we've all got a box that we put God into, a nice little, like a, you know, anyone ever seen those jack-in-the-box toys and you wind them up and the thing comes out? Apparently they're meant to be fun for children, but I've never seen a happy face on a jack-in-the-box. They freak you out, you know? You wind them up and out comes this thing with big ears, a big nose and point. It's terrible. They're, they're frightening, scary things. But we've all sort of got a little Jesus jack-in-the-box, don't we? We've got this little box, this little theological worldview, this perspective that we put God inside. And whenever God turns up or we hear of something that God is doing, we question it and we judge it based on our own theological box. Does it fit inside the box of how we see God or does it not? If it fits inside that box, it's comfortable and easy for us to accept it. But if it fits outside of that box, we don't know what to do about it, do we? If it's outside of that box, we're just unsure. 
John the Baptist had this experience. He heard the works of Jesus and all of a sudden his theological box was getting pushed a little bit. And he's had to sit back and go, well, hang on a second, this doesn't fit inside my box. What do I do with this if it doesn't fit inside my box? And the Bible says that John the Baptist sent two of his disciples and he said, go to Jesus and say, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the one that we were meant to be waiting for or should we be waiting for another person to come along? Are you the Messiah or is the Messiah still out there somewhere and are we waiting for his arrival? I reckon if John the Baptist wasn't in prison, he would have gone to Jesus personally. But he was confined to a prison cell, so he couldn't go out there physically to Jesus and sit him down and go, I just want to know, explain to me, help me understand, broaden the borders of my box, open up my box so that I can embrace all that God has for me. And did you know this? What God has for you is going to entail you broadening your box. Individually, what God has for you, for you to reach your full potential, you're going to have to learn to broaden your box. As a church, for us to go forward as a, as a body of Christ here in Ganelabar, we're going to have to broaden our box a little bit. We're going to have to find out what is God doing. How many of you know that what, what God did 20, 30 years ago to build churches? Uh, who remembers the Brownsville Revival days? And who remembers the, the you know, Kansas City Vineyard and all that stuff? And it was wonderful at the time. God was doing amazing things and it was the Lord. There were some fantastic things going on and you know, the gifts of the Spirit were flowing and there was lots of manifestations of the Holy Spirit and stuff. And, 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 and all of a sudden it was happening over here and then it started happening in pockets all over different churches and stuff like that. But how many of you know, just because that's how God was building his church 30 years ago, doesn't mean that's what God is doing right now to build his church. God moves on with times and seasons. What God was doing yesterday may not be what God is doing today, but are we open enough to be challenged in that to embrace all that God has for us? Or do we want to stay in that little box, that little mentality that we have of making judgment calls on God? This is God, that's not God. So John the Baptist did the right thing. He went to Jesus and said, I'm not going to make a judgment on this. I want to go to God and I want to find out with an open heart, is this you, Lord, or is it not? Yeah, there was a whole group of people running around in the time of Jesus. They were called the Pharisees. And we read a lot about them and they're always painted in negative light and stuff. But they, you know, they did some good things too. Let's not whitewash them all. But they're a major player in the death of Jesus Christ. These guys had a theological box of what the Messiah would look like. You know, they were very astute in the scriptures. These guys had memorized, most Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They could quote them to you. If you wanted to know where something was, a king or a ruler or somebody wanted to know some obscure scripture passage somewhere, they could ask the Pharisees and they could quite easily point like they did with, with, um, with uh, the birth of Jesus. When Herod went and said, call the religious leaders and ask them, uh, where is he going to be born? Oh, easy. It says in this book, in this prophecy, he's going to be born here. In this blah, blah, blah. They, just, they knew where it was. But when the very God that they claimed to serve turned up in front of them, he was doing things outside of their box and they got offended at that. They took offense in their heart at that. You know, the Bible is full of stories of God doing things that are outside of people's theological boxes. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes when we read the Bible, we go, oh, that's amazing, that's awesome. But we don't stop and think about the human content of what we're actually reading about. How did that individual feel at that moment? Gideon, yes, Lord. They're going out to war. Excellent. Can't wait for that. Let's go out there. Let's give it to these people. Take back our land at house. How many people you got? Oh, thousands. Okay, Gideon, great. Here's a process. Boop, boop, boop. Now you've got 300. Can you imagine what was running through Gideon's mind at the time? 
I reckon that would have been a real challenge to a theological box. Hang on, God, when you go to war, this is how you do it. Whoever has the most numbers generally has the upper hand, and if you've got more numbers than the other guys, you're a good chance of winning. The odds are pretty good in your favour. But, God, 300 people? God, have you not read the latest book on warfare? God, have you not been to the latest seminar and conference on warfare? God, don't you know this, this, this guy teaches that you should... Yeah, but I'm telling you, you need 300 men. What about Joshua? Okay, here's how we're going to take Jericho. Now, now just Josh, Joshua, just sit there, just listen for a second. Stay with me on this one, all right? Now, I want you to rally the troops. Yes, yes. I want you to get, yes, I want you to get the worshippers in front. Oh, this sounds good. Yes, yes, can't wait for this. And then I want you to walk around the walls. Then on the seventh day, do it seven times, and I want you to go, ah. I wonder how Joshua felt. Not only did Joshua have to lead that, he had to communicate that to all these people as well and go, um, hey, everybody, put down your toast. Got something to tell you. You know this God that brought us out here that's leading us, and you know the one we read about now, four foot, yeah, he wants us to walk around the walls. And then we're going to squeal, ah. And the walls are going to fall. How do you think he would have felt? How do you think the people would have felt? The Bible is full of God asking people to do things that are outside of their box. And while you and I might not be called to march around a wall and scream and have it fall down, the principle remains the same. God will call us to do things that are sometimes outside that box. They will never be outside the, 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 the scriptures and the character and nature of God. It won't be outside this. But there's a lot of scope outside of your box that still fits in the scope of this. Amen? I know for me, there's a lot of room in my life where God can take me that isn't outside the nature of his character, but certainly outside the nature of what I might be comfortable with. Because I have a box. I have a theological view of who God is, what God would ask me to do, what he wouldn't ask me to do, where he would lead me, where he wouldn't. I have a box. We all have a box. The sin is not having a box. The challenge is don't let the box dictate your relationship with God. Don't let the box dictate what you are prepared to do with God. What you're prepared to put your hand in his hand and co-create with him and get out there and change the world and make it a better place, change your family, change your finances, change your relationships. Don't let your box lock you in. Amen? Think outside that box. I think God's got a lot of things that he wants to do. Matter of fact, I think church-wise, and I, I, I say this, I'll throw this out there. I think church-wise in the West, my fear, one of my fears is that we've got the box. We're packaged, we're comfortable, we know how to do it. We know what a good church needs to look like, we know what it should sound like, we know what it should feel like, and it, and, and it looks sound, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. We do what we need to do and we adapt within our culture to reach our culture as you would in any nation. But I wonder sometimes, are we sitting down and listening to God and going, Lord, we know God. See, the Bible says that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's already said he's going to build it. Simple as that. It's a promise from God. He is putting his time, his energy into building his kingdom. That is what God is doing. God is not deviating from the plan, has not deviated from the plan, will not deviate from the plan, and has shown us in Scripture time and time again that he is very, very patient in achieving his goals. Very patient. 
There was a whole nation that were taken out of bondage from a land of Egypt. A whole nation of people that were told, you will go in and you will possess the promised land. Because that nation rather whinge, complain, not listen to God, not be led by God, try to tell God what to do, take matters into their own hands. Because of that, God was so patient, he sat back and said, look, I will wait for this entire generation to pass. I'll love them. I will care for them. I will be their God. But I will wait for them to pass and the next generation to raise up. And then I'll get on with my agenda. Read the book of Judges. It's absolutely full of that cycle of God wanting to do something and they love God. Then they whinge, complain about it and God goes, no worries, I'm very patient. I will get to the end of the book. It will happen. I will come back. I will build my church. I will have my way in your communities, in your nations. I will do it. And if you don't want to participate with that, if you want to resist what I'm trying to do, if you don't want to have a relationship with me and seek my face and listen to my voice, if you want to buck every time I try to do something that might be outside of your box, God is fine with that. He says, I will love you. I will bless you. I will be your God. You'll be my children, but I'll just patiently wait for the next one to come along. Interestingly enough, and I'm just thinking about this now, me and Jackie were part of a church plant here in Canelaba many years back, about 100 metres from here. God will be patient. God will be patient. God will be patient. God will have his way. Anyway, that's just a freebie there. You can have a, have a bit of a think about that one. Part of Christian maturity for each of us is to accept and embrace the mystery aspect of God. There will always be a mystery aspect to God. Why does God do things the way he does them? I don't know. I wish I had the answer. But then again, the problem is if I had the answer, maybe I'd feel like I was God. Maybe I'd feel like I was a bit more in control than God wants me to be. Maybe I would take charge and take the lead and not be as dependent on God as what he wants us to be. He's a good God with great plans and great purposes. You know, I was in a, excuse me, I was in a meeting um, in, in uh, Youth with a Mission in Brisbane back in 1993, was it? The tent. We had a tent back in 1993. And it was an amazing time. I'd literally just gotten saved. And my sort of um, involvement in Christianity began with a bang. There were healings, signs, wonders, miracles. It was all going on around me to the point where, where in a good way, I was born into something that seemed just natural and normal to me. That's what happens in Christianity. People get healed and saved and delivered. And it happens because I'm, I was seeing it everywhere in this evangelism training school that I was a part of back in 1993. But I remember one incident one day, and there was a girl there. Her name was Samantha. She's from Melbourne. Lovely girl. But really messed up with a lot of emotional things that were happening in her world. And I remember being in a meeting one day and we were worshipping. And she was standing, uh, we were all standing in plastic chairs just like you're standing on, sitting on right now. We were standing there, all of a sudden, out of the blue for no reason, her, she lifted up off the ground, was throwing three rows backwards in the chairs, landed with the small of her back right on the top of the chair, buckled over, flexed so hard, she sprung up, landed face first on the grass in the tent, burst into laughter was instantly set free from stuff she had seen counselors and had deliverance all sorts of stuff and she was instantly set free to this day that i think she might still be a missionary overseas now or she's pastoring a church down in melbourne somewhere bang like that why did god do that i don't know was it god yes it was how do i know that because i look at the fruit of it 
I see the fruit of it. I know it was God. Why did God choose to do that to her, yet I'm still messed up and he won't do that to me? He makes me talk to people about my issues. He makes me confess, look them in the eye and go, you know what, I'm a sinner, I'm a dirty, rotten scumbag and I've done this and I've done that. Please pray for me, help me. And yet he just picks her up, slams her on a chair and she said, free, doesn't have to tell anyone. That's unfair. Why would God do that? Doesn't he love me like he loves her? It's a mystery. I don't know why he did that, but he did it for her. I don't know why this person over here got totally healed and this one over here didn't. I don't know why, but I've got to make a choice. Do I get bitter, twisted and offended at the fact that 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 happened? Do I judge God and say, God, you mustn't love me, you mustn't care for me, but you must think that person's better? Or do I embrace the mystery of God and be grateful that God has done something somewhere for someone? Jesus responds to the disciples this way. He says, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not what? Offended at me. John the Baptist is sitting in prison, chained. These guys are out there healing the sick, raising the dead and so on. And John is meant to be talked up in Scripture, some great amazing man of God that should be honored and stuff. And here he is in prison. I wonder if he's hearing all about this stuff and he's going, well, Jesus, don't you care about me? Why don't you come and open the prison doors and let me out? Why am I rotting down here in a dungeon? You haven't even come to inquire of me and see what I'm going through. I've got to send people to you for... It would have been quite easy to get offended at what God was doing for others, wouldn't it? But John the Baptist was mature enough to know That offense doesn't help anybody. What we need to do is embrace the mystery of God. Embrace that aspect of God. God will do things that you don't understand. God will do things outside of your box. And the only way that we grow in our relationship with him is to embrace that fact. I don't hold God in my hand. Did you know that? God holds me. I've said it before, and you'll hear me repeat this a million times. The church does not exist today because of man's great faithfulness to God, but because of God's great faithfulness to man. It's the only reason we're sitting here right now is because we mess up, we make mistakes. We do. We, 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 God tries to do things. We don't uh, interpret what he's doing. We misinterpret what he's doing. We run away. We judge. We criticize. But in God's grace and mercy, he still holds a hold of the church and he's still doing what he does. And his mission and his goal is to build his church and to build it in such a way that the gates of hell themselves will not stop it. Our job's easy just to listen to God with an open heart and to go with him on the journey in your personal world, in your own life. Go with God on the journey. Go with God on the journey. It's in my heart to preach the gospel to people. It's always been there from the day I got saved. And when God opened up an opportunity for me to work in a bottle shop, that didn't fit inside my box. And I spent a lot of time bitter and twisted and angry at God about that almost giving up on life and giving up on the goal of ever being used by God again, ever doing anything. And here I am standing here today now going, God, you are absolutely amazing. I would never have foreseen that to happen down the track, but somehow it did. But God had to bust those walls down. God challenged my theologies. He challenged my way of doing things. 
there were moments where I'm sitting here looking at myself, but then I'm looking at other people I used to work with and so on. And they got being launched into pastoring churches and they're going overseas to India where, where me and my wife lived and did work. And all of a sudden, all these other people are getting trips to India twice a year. And, and it was so easy to sit there and, and to, to get bitter and twisted, to judge myself, to judge God. But I had to allow my theology to be broadened and accept the mystery of God. I don't understand everything about you. But what I do understand is your character and your nature. You are good, gracious, loving, just. And I've got to fall on that. And as we learn to fall on that as our primary foundation, we learn to embrace the mystery aspect of God. And just as John the Baptist did, we learn to go to God himself and go, God, I don't understand this. Father, help me. Father, explain this to me. Show me what I'm not seeing. And our Father responds and communicates to us. None of this should shock us because this was written in the Bible many, many years ago. I'll just quickly rush through here. I haven't got time to labor on it too much. You know, book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says this. And you're all going to know this because you've read it a billion times. For my thoughts are what? Wow. Thousands of years ago, God told us that my thoughts are not yours, but we still get frustrated and angry when he thinks different to us. Tilt, tilt, what's going on? Nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways. But yet when God does things different to the way that we think he should, or more to the point, when God does things different to the way we would if we were God, we get frustrated. Yet he tells us, I am God. My ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. I'm going to do things a little bit different at times. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to learn to embrace that? How are you going to learn to run with that? Or are you going to be one of these people that has this box that blocks everything outside that's of God that doesn't fit into your box? You will not go far in this Christian walk. You will not grow much as a person, as a believer. Your intimacy with him will be stifled. Your involvement in his kingdom will be stifled. Your ability to bring to the church and the body you're a part of, your gifts, your talents, your ability to help that plant grow will be stifled and it won't be stifled none of it by god it's by me is that right it's by me get the band to come back didn't they do a fantastic job this morning too by the way hey very very good it's great to have you guys here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Why do bad people apparently appear to prosper? Why do good people apparently appear to endure pain and hardship? It's a mystery. Why do some people financially sit at the top of the pile. They tithe and they give and, 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 and apply the principles of God and everything goes their way. They're like King Midas. Everything they touch turns to gold. Why do other people do all that stuff but don't quite reach that same height? It's a mystery. It doesn't mean I don't do it. Why did this one go this way? And why did, I don't know. It's a mystery. 
My grandfather passed away two weeks ago. Last time I was here, I told you we got the chance to go and see him in the morning. He passed away um, on the Tuesday. We were down in Sydney with the, with the kids with some sporting stuff. You know what he did? Had a vision of Jesus. Saw Jesus in the hospital room. My uncle told me about it. Michael's not a believer. Michael rang me up while I was driving back from Sydney at about you know, 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. You know what he said to me? He said, I was just sitting there with, 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 with um, my granddad. He said, I was sitting there and all of a sudden he looked up. And he reached out his hand. And he said these words. He said, the Lord's here. And my uncle said, no, no, it's just me. It's just me, you know, <laughs> thinking he was in some delusional state. My granddad looked at him and said, no, I can see the Lord. I can feel his presence. These are the words of an unsaved man who never had any time for God, never had any time for church, had a journey, rough journey. Yet two hours before he went, an hour before he went, he saw Jesus. Why have I never seen Jesus? Am I not good enough? It's a mystery. And the truth is, I don't care. I'll ask Granddad about it when I get up there. We've got to open our hearts to God. Or we've got to broaden our theologies. It's the only way. It's the only way that we will grow with Him. And it's the only way we'll grow the church. Is to embrace what God wants to do. Put your hand up and be a part of that. It's called maturity. And it's in the Bible. John the Baptist had questions about God. I'm in good company. And so are you. Let's all close our eyes for a second. I want to pray this morning for people here that might be going through some stuff at the moment. And it doesn't make sense. And you can't work it out. Maybe you're wondering if it's God. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe you're on that edge where you're about to accuse the Father for not caring. Maybe you're in that place where you're about to judge somebody else, maybe for what God is doing in their world, the way God operates with them. I don't know. I feel like this morning God wants to broaden those boxes, but he can't do that. He won't smash them open without your cooperation. You've got to humbly come before him and say, Lord, I don't know everything about you, everything about this situation, everything about that circumstance. But Lord, I want you to speak to me. I want you to minister to me. I want you to help me. Because I don't want to get bitter. I don't want to get twisted. And I don't want to be a person that you move forward from and maybe call my kids to do something because I didn't embrace it and do it. So another generation misses out. If that's you this morning, just while we worship you, I just want you to come forward and we'd love to pray with you. If you have any other needs this morning, we believe in a God that heals. We believe in a God that answers prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. God, all that you have done. Father, there is so many things that you have done that have gone unseen, that we have not acknowledged because we haven't understood it, but it's been you. And Father, there are so many things that you're going to do. So many things that you are going to do, Lord, that, that, that will cause us to question 
our own beliefs that will cause us to question our own understanding of who you are. And Father, I pray that as a people, we would be mature enough to not be offended, to not judge, to not criticize, but that we would open our hearts and be humble enough to say, Lord, you're God, we're not. Father, you have a big picture perspective, and we don't. You see the beginning to the end, and we don't. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now, Father, just touch our hearts. Touch our hearts. Draw us, Holy Spirit, draw us closer to the Father. Draw us closer to the Father. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.